This is Danny Jolkin, and you're listening to the Level Flight Podcast. Welcome into episode 59 of the Level Flight Podcast. We've got a full crew here today. The Jets are fresh off of a 5-2 win over the Detroit Red Wings. And I've got Brian and Elliot here to break it all down. Brian, how are we doing? Good, good. Uh, I finished Christmas shopping yesterday and I feel carefree. Last minute, wow. We're no, late, I mean, I had a few things and it's just, <laughs> you know, you, you go early enough in the, the day at to, you know, pull apart and you can usually avoid like the lineups, uh, but no, I was out uh, in and out of there by about 11 a.m. So, we're good. Very nice. <laughs> Very nice. Dodged it. <laughs> Elliot, how we doing? We're good. We're good. A little busy, but uh, yeah, Christmas shopping's all done. We're we're ready for, what is that, Monday? Yeah, that's Monday. Oh, yeah. Yeah, should be fun. Um, I, I love how we're, we finished school and we're all like, oh, we're free. But then we kind of underestimate how busy the holiday season is. Yeah, like, I it's been nuts this past week. But glad we're all here, still able to do the episode. Um, let's get into it. We're do we did a mailbag. Um, thank you to everyone who submitted questions. That'll be the back half of the episode. Um, some really interesting questions to get into. So can't wait to do that. But first, we've got games to recap. Starting with again maybe a statement win from the jets another one of those wins that's labeled as one of the most impressive saturday night south asian heritage night inside canada life center the jets decimate the avalanche 6-2 um no kill mccarr for colorado um which you have to note because he's arguably their best player if it's not nathan mckinnon um and colorado's blue line definitely suffered winnipeg was just all over them on the forecheck they couldn't really move the puck out of their zone but yeah, six two win, Brian. What were your what were your thoughts on this game? <laughs> People were stacking it up with that LA game a few weeks ago. Like, what's more impressive? Um, yeah, just a great showing from Winnipeg. It's one of those games where you look at, and I feel like in years past, it's always been you're you're measuring yourself up in those games that you know you look at down the line of oh, I remember when they beat such and such when they were at the top of the division. Um, and I think too, what was impressive to me is normally those games, when you look back on them, they're a bit more, you know, competitive. Yeah. It was not, it was very clearly no. one-sided. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I, I honestly think that you, you look at that, especially you look at the last, you know, 20 or so games. I, I, I honestly, I, I think what you have to think about too, is everyone's making a huge deal about this. And I think it's warranted. Uh, they just don't allow goals anymore yeah it's like what they've uh, they haven't allowed more than you know two goals and 20 or so games or something like that it's three they haven't allowed more than three since november 2nd and they haven't allowed more than two um like they they gave up three against montreal but two in regulation in in a long time as well it's yeah yeah. i believe it's no more than three in 21 games 
Yes. Yeah. It's something and and two, they've gone on a stretch a couple times where it's been like five or six games where they haven't allowed more than two of so and that that game where they gave up more than three was a five two loss on the road to Vegas. I don't know yeah. if you guys remember that game. It was November second. Like that's that's two weeks into the season. We're almost at 41 games. Like we're at 31 games played for the Jets right now. Like they're the defensive. It's it's ridiculous. And I think Lauren Brassois turned it around as well. We're going to yep. talk about the Detroit game most recently. But the Jets defensive structure is a huge reason uh, to do with that. Um, that that stat is just mind mind blowing to me. Elliot, this game against Colorado. Um, what were your initial thoughts on the Jets just taking over the Central Division? They did a really good job, I think, in this game of minimizing um, Nathan McKinnon and things that he can do. He never really got going. The Jets made sure there was at least somebody there was at least somebody covering him, and then somebody else in the area at all times. They didn't let him wind up and try to. I think he only had one or two chances in the game, and I think they were late. I believe one of them was like in the third period where he really actually kind of wound up and got a full head of steam, was able to get into the zone and let something off. Other than that, the Jets were really good about minimizing chances, and I know that's been their M.O., and it's Rick Bonus's M.O., just minimizing the high-danger chances, minimizing the stars, but it's, how, it's what you need to do to win, especially in a star-driven league like the NHL. At this high level, you need to keep minimizing the stars and look what look what happened. They made yeah. sure Nathan McKinnon was kept in check. He did, I'm pretty sure he was an, essentially a non-factor. I looked at his um hockey stat card after the game. Like he did nothing. It looked it mm-hmm. looked like he had barely played when he actually, I think he was out there still for 16, 17 minutes a night. So I, I think that the Jets did a really good job defensively. And then, yeah, they've just been really good about um, capitalizing on chances. And they've just been really good. I mean, we'll probably talk about the man of the hour, um, Gabe Velarde, probably here in a minute. But yeah, I, I like, I think it's just been when they've won this year, it's been team games. It hasn't really been like, oh, Kyle Connor has a hat trick or here's a four point night from one guy. It's been like, mm-hmm. The first line is good, or the fourth line contributes, or oh hey, these two sets of lines and this D pair did really well tonight, or like they're they're getting contributions from everybody, and it's normally not just one player or one line. It's a couple and that's multiple people. That's a sustainable way to win. Yeah. And like that's the difference between last year's team and this year's team for me. This that this question of oh, the Jets were this good last year and they were first in the division last year. Well, it was like you said, last year it felt more like Shifley and Connor would just have three goals. And then when those guys went cold for January and February, nothing happened. fell apart. Yeah, right. Now it's like if Gabe Velarde all of a sudden cools off, well, Cole Perfetti could heat up again. Or Nino Niederreiter from the third line could get his uh, consistent 20 goals in a season and pick it up. Kyle like, Connor will come back from Kyle injury. Connor comes back, yeah. Like the fourth I, line contributes. Like I, I don't think we need to underestimate Axel the Johnson fourth Fialdi line. Scored. <laughs> what? Well, yeah. And I, and <laughs> more. We'll, we'll I mean, get even, there. Yeah, yeah. we'll We're get not there, there yet. Yeah. Yeah. Call, when yeah. we talk about the Red Wings game, we talk about the fourth line. But that's that's the other thing. I don't think we need to undersell a line anymore. I think the entire forward core, no matter who it seems they bring in, seems to be like. And I, I never understood, and I don't want to bring back the 11-7 argument here, but I don't think uh, AJF has played bad enough for the Jets to go 11-7. and 7. 
Like, I actually think in his stint this time, he's looked good and he's actually like gener- he's looked good enough with the fourth line, just generating chances. And I think that's where I don't want to be also that guy too, where it's, oh, the fourth line, the grind line, that's where all the energy comes from. That's what they're doing though. But yeah, yeah, they've been the energy line for the Jets. It seems to be they get minutes and they get the big minutes when the Jets aren't really generating much. And the first line kind of gets off to a little bit of a slow start. Rick Bonus throws out the fourth line. They seem to either have a really good defensive shift and then throw it off to the second or third line, and then they go down the other end in the offensive zone, and they generate some chances. Or it's the other way around. Like, the fourth yeah. line goes out and generates some chances. So they, they've just been really good otherwise. Yeah, that fourth line, I mean, in years past, it's been a win if the fourth line just, like, got the puck deep and gave breaks the first even. line a breather. Yeah, yeah, like, breaks even. Uh, this year is not the case. Morgan Barron looks really good as well. David Gustafson's finally putting together a solid stretch of NHL games. Um, and yeah, actually, Yonsef Fialbi scored against Detroit. But first, we got to get to that Montreal game, the Barron Bowl, Morgan versus Justin. And it ends with a Justin Barron OT winner. I found that just poetic. It was, it was great. Um, lots of Canadian fans, uh, Canadians fans in this one, um, in the building. Lots of red. But I don't have much else to say about this game except for the special teams, which we spent a lot of airtime on last week. Um, but Brian, I know you wrote a takeaways piece from this one, so I'll let you I'll let you break down what you saw in the Canadians loss. Well, my three takeaways were um, one: Gabe Velarde remains undefeated. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is just this little stretch that he's been on since coming back from injury is just unreal. Um, but I also brought up, as we said, the special teams. But my my biggest thing was you're coming off a massive win against Colorado, the division-leading Colorado Avalanche. And we've seen this before um, where you've shown that you can beat the hell out of anyone in the league. And then you lose to like Montreal uh, for the second time this season in winnable games. like. Yeah. The thing that got me too is I I laughed at this stat, like because it it ended up being like because I made a whole point too where it's like I don't feel as bad about this loss if you come out and just run Detroit over, which which they, they did, did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But like the whole thing is you should really you know at, at the very least make it clear that you're the better team uh, against teams that are lower than you in the standings. I didn't think they did that against Montreal, mm-hmm. but my my favorite thing was the stat that got me was. Jake Allen won this game. His last mm. win came against the Jets in Montreal when they won in a shootout uh, on November 28th. Oh, uh, man. So, yeah, I I don't have much to say about it. Like, as I, like, it was another situation, though, where a good power play or two could have quite literally yeah. just won the game for them, but um, it didn't again. They didn't have a chance in the Detroit game. So I guess this is the time to actually talk about it, though, where uh, mm-hmm. they didn't have a chance to show it in the Detroit game. But uh, the, something's got to got to break here with the, you know, the power. Play. Yeah. Like, and and we'll get into it later get... in the episode. Yeah. But they did make a change. Um, and we'll talk about whether or not we we like the change. I think something needed to change, especially after this Montreal game. And that's what he did. Um, but the power play has been a problem but like you said i'm almost willing to discard this game based off like the three games around it 
like yeah. LA, Colorado, and Detroit. They just made these teams look like AHL teams. And I, they sure they lost to Montreal, whatever. Like I, you're gonna I, lose. Like games. you said, a, a good like, a good power play or two, they would have won. They went to OT. They got a point. Um, I I'm willing to kind of throw it away just based off of the the three games I, around it. But I would have been yeah. more concerned had Detroit put up more of a fight. Right. Yeah, um, uh, but yeah, back to back games was kind of against concerning. teams that are significantly lower than you in the standings. Yeah. Right. So yeah, um, let's get into that Detroit game. I we don't have to spend too much time on that Montreal game. The power play was the main thing. Um, Elliot, I'll start with you on the Detroit game. I just want to get the hockey stat card up. Um, we love the hockey stat card account, and you know, Gabriel Velarde is just. If you're on YouTube, you can see it. Gabriel Velarde is just on fire. Um, actually Hudson Fialbi's up there, um, after a two point night, but Elliot, what were your takeaways from the jets? Just rolling through the Detroit Red Wings. It w- I thought it was a little bit more of an interesting game just because I thought the first couple minutes of the first period, the jets were really good. I thought they were all over Detroit. I thought they were showing that they were the better team. They were taking initiative. They were taking it to the Red Wings. And then it kind of went away, and I was a little disappointed that they didn't capitalize on all that momentum. But then they came back throughout the rest of the game, and they just the second abs- period, man. Yeah, th- yeah. This team just wasn't even close. This yeah. team, I don't know what it is. I know they like to play low event first periods, and I think that really works against some teams. But like, they have been—I don't know what it is—and I'd love to know what. The, and we'll get into it with the power play strategy thing. I don't know if this is a strategy thing or a player, like just a player mind ready thing, but I don't know what it is. If it's Rick Bones, strategy of let's play low event first periods and then just bring it to the opponent in the second period or if lull them into a false sense of security. Yeah. Or, or well, or, or is it Rick bonus going, okay, let's come at them hard. And then the jets don't do it in the first period. And it just ends up being low event. And then he goes and screams at them in the locker room going, where where's this? Where's that? Can we fight? Can we do this? Da da da. And they come out and kill teams. Yeah. But that's where it well, is. Like, that's where I with don't the LA understand. game. Yeah. Like you're yeah. you're down two nothing after one, and then you come out and you're like, all right, I guess we'll we'll show up now. Like yeah yeah, and and that's the part that I don't understand because there have been games this year, not as many as the flat. Not I'm not going to say flat first periods because it also seems like sometimes the Jets aren't trying to do too much in the first period at times that's where i think it's kind of a strategy thing but there's this weird like i don't know where like we've seen a couple games the jets come out flying in the first period and then they look great and so i don't know if it's again a strategy thing that bonus is trying to do against certain teams like hey let's come out hard against this team let's play low event against this team because it works better strategic wise but yeah, yeah I, 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 other than that, I thought the Jets played really good and I can't really say much else about it. I don't really think there was really anybody that I was like, oh, you had a bad game or yeah, anything on like the, that. On the low event first period topic, I it's interesting because it's really boring to watch. <laughs> like it, it, it really is like I'm not going to I'm not going to lie, but it's better than the Jets getting absolutely shelled in the first period. Like nothing happening is better. Like it sure you could label it a slow start, but like the Jets after one were winning one nothing. So it's yeah. like it was it really a slow like yeah, it was low event, but the Jets just Neil Pionk like 
fluttered a shot from the point somehow went in off of Jeff, <laughs> Jeff Petrie. Um, and I guess they're winning, right? But like I said, it's not like they're getting shelled and then Neil Pionk scores a lucky one. It's like nothing is happening. And then that goal just kind of happens. And it's like, oh, okay, we're awake now. Um, and then the Jets in that second period, oof, they just rolled. We in the press box, we sit on that end of the rink where the Jets shoot in the second period. And I leaned over and said to Carter Brooks, like the puck has been down here the whole time. Like whether they've been cycling it, uh, Detroit hasn't gotten the puck back really much at all. Um, Winnipeg was just all over their defense. And it was it was fun to watch. They were just cycling the puck to, to no end. And that one pass, Gabriel Velarde scored another goal in this game. Um, the Macarena, people were doing it. Um, but it was it was Velarde, it was it was a tap-in because Cole Perfetti comes off the bench, or sorry, comes off the half wall. Um, and just the vision, we we've talked about it many times, but just hits Velarde for a, a backdoor tap-in. Like if I was standing back door, I could have tapped that in. Like that's how you know Cole Perfetti's really freaking good at hockey. Well, because if is, I was standing back door, I could have scored that goal. But yeah. Um with Velarde too, is not only does he just know where to be, he is also the one who can dole out those passes. Like him yeah. delaying a little so Ehlers can get open beside the net. Like that's just it's it's great hockey IQ, but he also put the pass exactly where it needed to be in order for him to just roof it. Like it's yeah. just he is such a smart player and I mean, it's, it's fun. I mean, I, I'll go as far to say it's, it's very fun to dunk on Kings fans. Uh, but <laughs> my favorite thing though, is the constant updating of <laughs> Velarde now having more points than Pierre Dubois by all main media teams, all yeah. main media. It's not just like Winnipeg local media or LA local media. It's like all over if you go on Twitter, it's everybody's talking about it, which I think what is I will the say, best though, part. Is a lot of Kings fans though are seeing it and they're like, "This is an all-time blunder here." And like, I'll, they knew I'll, it. what I will say is, I do think that in terms of you know actual talent, not the stuff that shows up, Dubois has the ability to be way better than what he's doing right now. Mm -hmm. uh, but it just looks so much worse because of one how good Velarde's doing and two that contract differential there like it's just you look and you're like all right so yeah 15 less games more points for Velarde you're like ooh yeah. that's uh, that's a that's a nice Dude. little stat to look at yeah but to to further your point like there are Kings fans that I'm seeing on Twitter that are like kicking themselves and they they like are almost like we knew like Velarde he showed this promise he broke out last year when the trade happened, they're like, okay, you're shooting high. You're, you're going to get that that third-line center, I guess, because that's what Dubois is for the Kings right now. Um, and then Velarde just absolutely lights it up. He's got 10 points in his last four games. Uh, and I wrote a takeaways piece on this game. Let's get this. Appreciate the hockey stat cards. They are fantastic. Um, yes. But I wrote a takeaways give piece them a on this game. Yes, give them a follow. Um I wrote a takeaways piece on the Detroit game and my number one takeaway was Gabriel Velarde's making national headlines. Like people, it took a game against an original six opponent in its own time slot. Like there were three NHL games last night and the jets were one of them. Uh, and there was a game at 9 PM. So it was like one of two games um, that you could have watched. It was jets wings and like Islanders, someone else. Um, it it like took Islanders that caps, I think. Yeah. So it, it took that for people to notice the fact that he's been dominating, but 
people are starting to take notice and uh yeah that conference contract differential um Ooh. and the trade right now oof, yeah are, are we uh are we at the point i know we've it's 10 points in four games and he's played what like a total of 13 he's 14 13 games. he's got 13 yeah 13 yeah. are we already going to be talking about him taking that next step from his jump last year like is he has he elevated even more are, are we at that so. point already yeah yeah you know, I, I think we're there and I, I i believe that the stretch after the christmas break because he's had essentially since he's come back like they've played a fairly consistent stretch of games here where there's not like big breaks or anything i get most it's been like two two days i think um yeah. i think having that couple days there and then after christmas um if he comes back and continues this role um because like that's the thing like over the christmas break you're also like like you're allowed to practice on your own but the teams aren't allowed to hold any formal practices so like you have to separate yourself entirely because i know mm -hmm. wasn't it the leafs last year who got penalized for it yeah because they held us they held a skate on like boxing day um yeah. <laughs> on but, boxing yeah. day uh <laughs> I honestly think that if he comes back with that little break totally away from the ice and continues to dominate, which I honestly, I, I have no reason to doubt that, you know, they will, especially that top line has just been unreal. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that we are seeing the evolution of him as a player going from, you know, prospect with, you know, great, you know, outlook to this guy is taking a step here in LA last year and then seeing it this year where he's a legitimate top line, you know, national headline maker. Like it's. And when he was hurt, like I, I said it and I didn't think it would come true to this extent, but I was hurt. He was hurt. And it was, I was saying, you know, people are kind of underrating him. Like he was the main piece. Alex, I was playing great and people were like, okay, like Velarde will come back, like whatever. People weren't really taking that into account. I didn't think he'd come back and put up 10 points in four games, but yeah. um, I did think he was going a little under the radar, especially when he missed all that time. Um, before we go to break, I do want to bring up the analytics for this top line. You brought it up. Hmm. They are absolutely crushing it right now. Um, I've got it here. This is all uh, from Money Puck. Um, Ehlers, Shifley, Velarde, 70.1% expected goals percentage Corsi percentage of 66.2 percent and they're outscoring their opponents nine to two their goals for per 60 as a line is number one in the league for uh line forward lines that have played at least 60 minutes together um the Corsi percentage is number two behind carolina and we we they played against carolina we talked about it all they do is throw shots at the net but yeah. Corsi percentage number two behind Martinick, Stahl, and Fast, that line for Carolina. And their expected goals percentage of 70.1 is also number two in the league of lines that have played at least 60 minutes to Hyman, McDavid, Nugent Hopkins. So they're doing pretty well. They're doing pretty well. And uh, we don't have to have the conversation yet on where Kyle Connor slots back in um, because we're a long ways away from that. But uh, soon enough, we might have to have that conversation because this top line is, you can't break them up. You, you cannot any touch circumstance. No, no. It's, like since, it's unbelievable. Since uh, Velarde's come back and then it's been, what, five games since this line specifically mm -hmm. has been together, um, they have been the best line in the league. Yes. Barna. Yeah. Like there's absolutely no, 
you know, discussion there. Like it's, it's unreal what they've done. And if they even a semblance of what they're doing over this little five game stretch here, like you can't expect them to play, you know, this level of hockey, like you're not getting, uh, you know, every four games, you know, Velarde's putting up, you know, 10 points and, you know, right. Shifley and Ehlers are having like back to back to back three point games every game. But if they put up like even just like a little bit less, they're still going to be like untouchable. Yeah. Yeah, they're it's it's unbelievable that the Jets have kind of stumbled into this, um, especially with the Kyle Connor injury. And we brought it up the stat, the analytics in the very very small sample size of Connor Shifley Velarde was unreal for the first two games and half a period. Um, and then here we are, the analytics for this line are incredible. Maybe Gabriel Velarde's the key. Maybe Nikolai Ehlers is the key. Like he's on fire as well. It's kind of flying under the radar. Uh, Maybe I Mark Shifley. I, I think it's Mark Shifley. Personally, <laughs> I personally think it's Mark Shifley. But well, I he's just the think common it's denominator. Um, that Velarde though provides good defensive impact because let's be real, you're not getting uh, great defensive impact out of Shifley. You weren't ever going to get good defensive impact out of Connor. Ehlers has slipped a bit in the last few years defensively, but it doesn't matter now because they're no. one. They're playing good enough defensively because Velarde is able to, you know, kind of rein everything in, but it doesn't matter They're They are just blowing their opponents out of the water because they, they don't leave the offensive zone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, I, it's I, unbelievable. I, yeah. Yeah. You, I just Ellie, think it's, the, I just think last it's the big, before break. Yeah. yeah. I just think it's the biggest thing is what you just said, Brian, they are, the jets have been very about that first line needing to be the offensive driver when they want to throw as much offense. This is finally the line that's doing that. It's finally the line of I'm fine with not putting a defense. I know Velarde is a defensive player, but I'm fine with them not playing very good defensively in terms of metrics if they're just going to keep putting up points. Because then who who cares? We're just right. I don't want to be. I mean, I don't want to be that team because the Jets have been really good five on five defensively. But like if we're if we end up in a game, I feel really good about the Jets winning a five four like a five four game. Most years, I'd say, oh, the Jets are probably going to lose. No, I feel pretty good about the Jets if the game's tied at four. That yeah, somebody on the first line or yeah, is probably going to put up another set of points and someone's going to score. So yeah, well, the game being tied at four, I don't know how many games this year going to be tied at four, man. They they, well, they I, don't give up more than I'm three. Saying. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> maybe that's tied at, saying. maybe tied at two. Although they, it was tied at two, they lost to Montreal. But I get what you're saying, and I, I agree. Like the top line is just able to cover up offensive holes from other lines. But right now they're getting offense from other lines too, and they look like one of the best teams in the West. Which um, before we move on to break, I two quick points. Mm-hmm. Fourth line in uh, right. Detroit yes, game. we didn't even talk. We got caught yeah. on the Velarde, you know, conversation, but uh, two goals from the fourth line. Yeah. Um. And then also Laurent Persois, third consecutive, really good start. Uh, yeah. And I wrote a piece a couple of weeks back where it was, or I guess last week, that he needs to be more consistent for them to really, you know, use him uh, in these situations. And there he is. So, yep. Yep. And he's got another start coming up. They have the Jets have a back to back against the Wild on the 30th and then New Year's Eve. Um, so yep. he's going to start one of those games and he's been great, like you said. Um, let's head to break. We're going to hear a word from our sponsor, DraftKings. This is episode 59 of the Level Flight Podcast. Stick around for after the break. 
Bet the action on the ice with DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app now and use code THPN. New customers can get 150 bucks instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5 on hockey. That's code THPN, only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. The crown is yours. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash hockey for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. NHL and the NHL Shield are registered trademarks of the National Hockey League. Copyright NHL 2023. All rights reserved. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY or 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-QUADRUPLE-7 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario, see dkng.co slash football for eligibility. Terms and responsible gaming resources uh, are there for your availability. Uh, bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. And welcome back into episode 59 of the Level Flight Podcast. Thanks once again to DraftKings for sponsoring this episode. And we did a mailbag. You guys asked questions. We're going to answer them. Um, a few great questions. A lot of them, uh, or two of them at least, the first two we're going to talk about focused on trades. People are already looking ahead. This team has people excited for the trade deadline and what they can potentially add. First question is from Andrew, a fellow CMU student. Thank you, Andrew, for submitting questions. We know Andrew very well. Um but he asked, what are some players that the Jets could target in a trade that would serve as those under-the-radar good trades for the Jets, like DeMello and Nemesnikov? Um, before I throw it to you guys, I will just say, even the Niederreiter trade, I'd loop into that. Like, no one really, an in-division top six forward, no one really penciled in Niederreiter as a trade target, and then that just kind of came out of left field. Um, and that, like, I've been shocked by by the deadline deals that the jets have done. I haven't really been able to hone in on, on what they're, what they're predicting, but we are still going to provide some under the radar targets that we would like to see. Um, Elliot, I'll start with you. Is there any team player that you are looking at that might be not talked about as much on the, on the Twitter circles or, or wherever that may be? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've heard about the, the flames and we know the blues right. are now a potential target. And, Obviously, Nashville is going to be. I think. I think Nashville will probably be my pick if you're going to go in division, um, just mm. because no one's really talked about them. They're not really in the playoff race. You're not going to talk about Arizona because they're playing well and they're probably Good. going to be in yeah. for a wild card spot. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. At least at this point, normally around game 41, when you get into that month before the trade deadline, you can kind of figure out. Lots of teams, I would actually say, are still in the race. Um, mm -hmm. another team, I guess I would mention that would be an Eastern conference. I guess we've heard a little bit about them, I think. And we've seen that both GMs have been at games and sending scouts and stuff. I think the flyers are probably, I would say if you're going to bet on anybody for the Jets to trade with at this point, if there was a line for who they're going to trade with, it's probably going to be the flyers just because they've been looking at back and forth with one another. Mm -hmm. So uh, that'd probably be yeah. my pick. I really have a player. Um, just because there, there's not really much on the, like personally, unless you're looking at Elias Lindholm, there's nobody really else on the trade market 
at this current time. Yeah. No one's really been made available because most teams, again, we're 30, what, 31 games in the year around just over 30 games for most teams. Most teams are still thinking about, oh, are we in it? Can we go on a run? Like, so I would say once we hit that 40, like about the halfway mark, maybe a little bit more, that's when you can really start to see if teams have kind of decided where their season's going to go. I think it's still a little bit early. Mm-hmm. Brian? Yeah, I, I'm going to further that where I was kind of looking at it when you were saying it, Elliot. Um, I think it's 26 teams are within three games of 500 hockey, um, which I can't recall at any point recently that there's been it's this tight. many teams like like the parody this year is wild. I will say like there's very clear like, oh, they're outperforming, uh, they're underperforming, um, but yeah. they're still like the the wins are either there or they're not. Um, but like you're looking at essentially just um, the Blue Jackets, uh, the the Sabres, the Ducks, the Senators, the Blackhawks and the Sharks are the only teams that are, I think, four or more below. Um, yeah. And I, I, I'm going to take the safe route too, where I, I honestly don't think there's enough out there that once teams start dropping totally out of the race then you start you know you're able to look more clearly at you know their contracts and you know where you know these teams are looking to go in the future what their direction looks like if they got a bunch of young guys they're going to probably want to move out some veterans for some draft picks and stuff like that so i think we're about a month or two i think that you know january is that sort of barometer for teams being like okay yeah we're we're uh, we're coming down the stretch here to the deadline um we're not in this anymore or some teams mm-hmm. will be like kind of in it, but not like the blues a few years ago where they, when they dealt Stastny to the jets, like yeah. it's and when, like, when the, they the have like that level of, that, yeah, that self-awareness though of like, this is not what we're looking for. Right. We might as well make the move now. Cause we're not going to make any noise. Um, yeah. So no, I think we're going to look probably, I would say mid January is going to be that point when the, suddenly those under the radar targets start looking a little bit more reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, a team, I'm going to throw out a team and players from the team uh, that might, like, you didn't mention them, Brian. Um, People aren't really mentioning them because I think they're still kind of holding on to what last year was. But they were so obviously a regression candidate, and they are regressing, and that's the Seattle Kraken. Um, They outscored their problems last year, and when teams outscore their problems and the problems don't get fixed, this is what happens. Um, They failed to outscore them two years in a row, and they're below 500 now. They're, the Pacific is stacked, especially with the Oilers finally looking like themselves now. Um, you've got LA, Vegas, Edmonton, Vancouver is like a top five team in the NHL. So I doubt they're going to be even close to the playoffs. Um, maybe the second wildcard spot, but I could see them as a team that looks to sell. And they have a lot of interesting candidates, especially up front. Um, I mean, we, we know the Jets like to trade for guys with term. Oliver Bjorkstrand has three years left on his contract. Um, that was a guy last year. I was, I think I wrote a piece on that could be like a guy that the, the Seattle was good last year though. So they weren't really in a, in a selling position, but his analytics are incredible. Um, Yanni Gord has two years left at 5 million. He could fill that two C role. Um, Alexander Wenberg has one year left. He wasn't, he wouldn't really fill a two C role. He's more of a bottom six guy. Um, I like the Gord. Then, conversation yeah yeah 100 percent. yeah 
Gord is Gord would be more of like a two way two C guy, five million, two more years. Um, and then there's three kind of middle six targets that I like here, and that's Kyler Yamamoto, Thomas Tatar, and Ellie Tolvanen. All are expiring at the end of the year. Tolvanen and Yamamoto are actually RFAs, um, so you could even retain them. But those are guys that if you wanted to improve your depth, I think you could do it for cheap. And I think you could do it on a Seattle team that has to pay Maddie Beneers soon. Um, I might not be looking to pay these these depth guys who have outperformed that. Like Ellie Tolvanen last year um, was picked up off of waivers and then played great for Seattle. Um, and he yeah. could be kind of a scoring boost to the bottom six. Not that the Jets need it, but um, it's something to keep an eye on for sure because they could add to that depth. And Seattle has a lot to provide, especially since I don't think they're going to be anywhere close to a playoff spot come yeah come trade deadline season um yeah i think that's ahead, the biggest no just quickly i think the biggest mm-hmm. thing to take away from this the, us answering this question is one it's too early and two no matter if teams think that their team their own if gms no matter if they think their team is per, underperforming or overperforming they will still be pushing for the playoffs at this point it's like brian said once we hit january and we start getting towards that month out from the deadline month and a half that's when teams actually start to decide okay are we all in are we out or you're just the national predators and you trade away nino niederreiter and then you're still in the playoff race with the jets for some reason because right again you're right. overperforming the yeah. and and that's the thing teams may sell and then they overperform like the predators sold last year at the deadline and then we're the jets were in a playoff race with them all the way up until like game 80 like it, it was nice yeah. so yeah we'll, we'll see and i will say on the too early thing gms are also kind of copying the nba a little bit and making their deadline move like three weeks before the actual deadline like yeah. trade deadline day has become just Depth nothing flip. like it's 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 the trades are happening earlier the jets added nemesikov on deadline day that was one of the biggest trades that happened that day uh but they traded for niederreiter 10 days before uh, because why wait for trade deadline and then you only get your player for what 18 games before the playoffs when you can make the trade two weeks prior and get them for 30 games right um or 25 games or whatever the case may be um so i i do agree that it's a little early but i honestly think gms are going earlier and earlier with their deals so we might have to we might have to adjust as uh, as people who are who are on the lookout um the next question is also a trade target, but this one, we talked about it last week a little bit with Pavel Bushnevich. Um, I'm not sure if that's your guys' answer for the question, but from Magin, assuming Chevy goes out and rewards the team for their season, who's your ideal deadline ad and where would you slot them into the lineup? Andrew's question was more of like an under the radar, looking at depth kind of thing. This question I'm treating as like, what would their big swing be? Like what, what would my ideal big swing be? Um, I'm going to go first on this one. Travis Konechny. Um, the issue with this one is the Flyers are good. Like the Flyers are in a playoff spot and like well over 500. They're not rebuilding. Um, so I don't know how possible it is, but they, they might be a team that's overperforming and come comes back down to earth. Um, but shout out to Jacob Stoller. We've had him on the, the podcast many times. Uh, go check him out. But he was the one that kind of pointed me in this direction, saying connecting would be a great ad. And I could not agree more. Connecting would be a fantastic ad. I think he has, um, I believe he has term as well. I'm checking that right now, but 
he would be like a, an immediate add into that top six. Um, yeah, he has term till 2025. So he, he's got term. Um, he would be an ideal add into that top six. If Philly is in a position to sell, that would be just, just a great add for Winnipeg. And it's, it's my ideal one. Um, we're going to get into another one with our next mailbag question that I think would be up there for me as well and would fill, fill a pretty clear need. Um, but who would your guys' ideal ads be? Brian, I'll start with you. Um, I, I still think Buchnevich is right up there with me, but mm-hmm. I, I've i kind of pivoted a little bit purely based on just adding a winger, knowing when Connor's coming back. It feels... If, if there's a level of redundancy to it, and I, I understand, like it, it's it's hard to you know obviously project that, but I I would say adding like a Buchnevich and then running like Connor comes back and you run, uh you know, you you do move Perfetti back to center in that scenario, mm-hmm. and I think that would work. But it, it's 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 a level of if they're consistently going to be putting Perfetti on the wing. I think the big swing would be another second line center as we have this conversation all the time. And uh, in this situation, I'd say the best, you know, center on the market is you're probably looking at an Elias Lindholm. Yeah. And I mean, as, as we talked about, like there might be these guys that suddenly pop up on the market, you know, a couple weeks before the deadline being like, though the team has given up on the season um, and you're not swinging for these guys that are under the radar, like, you know, but, if you're going big, uh, I, Lindholm has been the top center on the market it, for the last like year, and he just hasn't gone anywhere. But it sounds like things aren't going anywhere with the Flames either. So mm-hmm. um, it would take a lot. Uh, it sounds like I, I saw a report that they're looking for a Dubois style return. Um, so uh, teams I aren't doing that after how it turned out. Absolutely <laughs> not. Um, so that might be a wait and see. But I mean, if you mm. add that level of impact and then you bring connor back and then you have that top line then you have connor lindholm perfetti uh and that's also kyle connor on that line he doesn't have to worry about a damn thing defensively um (laughs) perfetti great defensively lindholm good defensively uh and it's connor can just kind of do his own thing he would be free to just you know float around looking for shots um so i think and then obviously they've been buried a little bit lately uh, that third line though still has the ability to be a very strong line especially if teams are going to have to match up even stronger against those top two um mm-hmm. and then the fourth line's producing so if you add in that second line center and then you bring connor back suddenly you've got essentially two first lines so and if you and if you added lindholm and then connor came back and you ha- you ran that second line your fourth line would be uh i follow nemesnikov baron yeah, like that's a fourth line that yeah. you play. Like you're the, the, those guys aren't playing seven minutes a night. Like you're rolling four lines. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Elliot. Yeah, I think, I think it has to be a center. I don't like. Again, it's hard to say. Like, I guess a Travis Connect me. He does play center, correct? I am. I'm no, not, he's 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 a winger. He a winger in this in this scenario. I'd move Perfetti to the middle. Yeah. And then okay. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, Either way, I think a center Lindholm is probably the target, especially with like if Connor was in the lineup, then maybe you think about a winger, but I don't really know where a winger would fit. I think you think about a bottom, a bottom six winger, maybe depending on where you want depth. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's, I think Lindholm is your big swing. If another target becomes available, obviously 
you take a look at it depending on who it is and what team they're on. Um, but yeah, I think the Jets need to put a center out. And I think for right now, unless that first the first line completely tanks, you have to roll with the first line. Um, and then yeah, how Connor then is on the second line. And I think for one one of Connor's better seasons was him playing with Blake Wheeler, a pure passer who is just mm-hmm. looking to feed the shooter. And I think as much as I as much as Kyle Connor still figured it out with Mark Shifley, Mark Shifley still likes to shoot and he still he's not always looking to pass. And obviously Ehlers is always looking to shoot. I think that's the perfect scenario for Kyle Connor is to come back on that second line and they find a center that is just good, a two-way player, good defensively, he's going to contribute offensively somewhat. And then you put Perfetti on the wing, and then Perfetti's just feeding Cal Connor like all day. It's shot after shot. Perfetti's finding Con- like that would yeah. be the ultimate. I think if Kevin Sheveldayoff wanted to show the team and wanted to show the fan base that he's committed to winning and he is going all in for a cup, not just signing obviously Shifley and Hellebuck to those long term extensions, I think would be for that him to spewing absolutely massive on a second line center mm-hmm. and load up on the top six lines. Now, obviously we all have our opinions as well. I think the jets also need to look for a top four defenseman. I think that's also a target that they, they need. I personally think so. I still think that they need, need that, but I think a second line center is obviously the bigger issue i think if you can get an extra defenseman that fits in the top four i think that's like you get an a plus from me yeah and i was gonna bring up the the defenseman thing before we moved on i think with the 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 defense if you're making a big swing you can stay with the flames i mean there's chris tanov who is just an absolute warrior on the ice he's 33s he's pending ufa um so that's more of a rental played in manitoba at one point for the manitoba moose Exactly. Yes. Um, bring him. Bring him home. Um, I, I've listened. No. I've witnessed him play, uh, and I was like, "Yeah, you know, this guy could be could be something." And now here we are. You knew. I knew. You knew. You're a scout. Um, Holy. Oh yeah. Um, but I honestly think sneaky, sneaky. No, I, I haven't seen anyone say it yet. But Rasmus Anderson from the Flames has three years left at four point five million. He's twenty seven years old. He's their top defenseman. He's on their top top pairing. Um, and if it was a deal similar to the Jacob Chikrin one that Ottawa did with Arizona, um, that would interest me. Maybe a little bit less because Chikrin at the time was 23. Anderson is 27. Um, so you're getting Chikrin for his prime years. You're getting Anderson at kind of the tail end of his prime. Um, maybe the, the rest of his contract would be just fine from 27 to 30. Um, but that would be a huge, huge swing. And he would immediately be Josh Morrissey's partner for at least the next three years, if not longer. Um, and it seems to be like th- those those three years there, um, like Nino Niederreiter signed for three years, um, creating a bit of a window here. Velarde's here for the next two years. Um, Perfetti's up. I'm sure they'll go longer than a year with him. Maybe, maybe Perfetti will want a bridge, um, but we'll see. Maybe they're like making a bit of a three-year window here, and Rasmus Anderson would fit that perfectly. If they traded for him, their decor would be loaded, um, even better than it is now, which is one of the best in the league at suppressing chances at five on five. Yeah. Anyways, let's move on to the last question from Jeff at Nick Smith on Twitter. What's a potential offer 
the Jets could make to Minnesota for Joel Erickson Eck if the Wild are well out of the playoff race in February. I will say the Wild have really turned it around after they, after they fired um, and then hired John Hines. Um, they The coaching bump has resulted in their goaltenders playing like the two best goaltenders in the league, as it always does. Uh, show me a good coach and I'll show you a good goalie. That's always the <laughs> always the saying. But what are your guys' thoughts on Joel Eriksson? I know we just talked a lot about uh, second line centers. Eriksson has, I think, six years left on his contract. Um, and he's 26 years old. So this would be, from a divisional opponent, tough to acquire. Um, but what are your guys' thoughts on him potentially being an option if the Wild are well out of it, Brian? It feels... It feels kind of like far-fetched because they've developed him into their top line center uh, who has been, you know, just a great score over the last couple of years here, but that's really it. Like it's been about two years here where he's been legitimately like, like he had the, like 26 goals in uh, 21, 22, 23 last year. And he's on pace for it this year, but, essentially up until recently he was you know that you know for, like 40 to 50 point guy and i think that he has evolved and he will be a guy who's probably going to put up 20 to 30 goals you know 70 to 80 points but i think what you you said it best where it was they have a six year you know remainder on that so firstly mm -hmm. if you're acquiring him you are also acquiring uh you know the remainder of six years at five point well, what was it here? Five point three five. I want to say two five. Five point two five. Two five. Oh. Um, and I will say this is the last year that name. anyone can really that anyone can really trade for him because he's got uh, starting next year a bunch of trade protection. Mm -hmm. Um, so it feel like it, I think it would take a lot from that standpoint alone because obviously there's the term thing, but he's twenty six. So you're acquiring, you know, he's in his prime now, probably. Uh, and he's mm -hmm. going to just kind of click along at this pace. Um, so you'd get a decent, you know, production level. But what you're also looking at, though, is the fact that if you're acquiring that much term, you're going to have to throw a lot at the wild to actually convince them because that's their number one center. Uh, mm. So uh, yeah. they, they need to, first of all, be totally out of it because, you're not trading the guy playing between, you know, Boldy and Kaprizov. Um, right. And I think what's interesting too is uh, he would be the number, like the number two center here, and mm -hmm. it would be phenomenal. But I don't think I've ever seen a level of interest in the Wild making that move. Yeah, Elliot. Yeah, I think for me. Just to kind of sum all that up, I think there's too many factors for it to really be a possibility. Like it's like I said last week with the Pavel Buchnevich trade. As much as Buchnevich is probably a little bit more attainable, um, it's still an individual opponent, so the price is going to be up. Then it's a player with a long contract with term, which I know the Jets like, but then the Wild probably like that because they've got Kaprizov and Boldy. And then it's right it's it's a it's just going to be a larger price for everything and then the wild have also not shown any interest in excuse me wanting to ship him out so mm -hmm. i think someone like a joel erickson is probably out of the range i forgot to say this when we were talking about other trade targets i know the jets like term but i think the term they like 
and they seem to want to trade for is guys with two years left in their deal. They come in with the remainder of the year, and then they're still under contract for the following year. So if they can't get an extension done, they at least get another full season with the player. So mm-hmm. for me, guys that would that are two years, and I think maybe they'd push it to three years, um, but guys are with two or three years left in their deal, I think are targets for the Jets. Anybody more than that, I think anybody more or less than that, unless it's a bot like a depth bottom six player, I don't think the Jets are going to be targeting. I think it, if they're going to yeah. swing big, it's somebody with two or three years left. If they add anybody else, it'll be someone with a year left that's making minimum or close to minimum money and is just going to be a fourth line, maybe bottom six press box option. Other than that, yeah. It'll be guys with two or three years left. And that's where I think that with Eric Snack having six years left with term, I just I don't think it's just going to be a possibility. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree with the possibility stuff. Um, this, this question asks for like kind of a potential offer. Um, so I, you guys touched on the, the potential of it. And I agree with what you said. An offer would probably start at minimum with one of Barlow Lambert or Lucius and a one. Yeah. Probably plus a mid round pick probably plus another prospect like probably a roster player though yeah i was gonna say there's probably a roster player yeah so like the the wild are are like caprice office is prime is in his prime now and this is like their time so they're to to move off of erickson eck would be tough and then again trading in division i doubt kevin shovel wants to trade brad lambert to the minnesota wild and then he hits his full potential and terrorizes the Jets for the next uh-huh. 10 years, you know? Um, so I, in division is tough, especially with top line centers that are making, um, that are on a good contract for the next six plus years. Um, it, you have to trade a lot to get that player. If Erickson yeah. Eck played on an Eastern Conference team, I'd say it was more likely, especially with how bad the Wild have been to start the year. Um, but him being in division kind of makes it unattainable in my eyes. Um, but yeah, that was, that was it. That was the mailbag section. Thank you to everyone who submitted questions. Um, we really enjoy, you know, talking trade targets. Um, and, uh, people, people want to know, you know, because maybe this is the year that the jets swing big, who knows? Um, but there are a few quick hitter topics that we can't go without saying here. Um, we said it on early in the episode, but Perfetti and I follow have been swapped on the power play, but the jets didn't have any power play opportunities against Detroit. Um, just quick, like few sentences. What are your guys' initial thoughts on on that swap, Brian? Um, I think personnel wise, it's a good swap to make, but I honestly don't know if personnel is the issue. Uh, I think it's you know the tactics of how the power play moves and how they you know uh, not even just moving the puck because you can move the puck and still stand still, which is a lot of what they do. Um, right. I think there needs to be a lot more fluidity to it, and it's going to take more than I think moving you know, players around. I think it helps having such a good passer in Perfetti. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I need to see more of it. And But I I, th- I think Brad Lauer needs to really sit down and think about how they can change, uh, you know, actual tactics. Yep. Um, I think just to kind of piggyback off of what Brian said, uh, Rick Bonus obviously came out after the game and talked about um, his what he had to say about the power play, and he talked about movement and not just puck movement. He talked about player movement, 
And that's where I'm starting to think it's not a system issue when it comes to the power play. I'm starting to think it's a personnel issue where it's player types and not, and just their thoughts and what they personally want to do on the power play. Like Mark Shifley kind of just wants to stand around and shoot and Perfetti kind of just wants to stand around and pass. They don't really want to move. So I think, I think it's actually a player thing and it's like a mental player thing. I don't think it's a really a play style or, or it's a system thing. I think it's just the way that they are per, the players are personally playing when it comes to the power play. If, if that makes any sense, does that make sense? Kind of yeah, where I'm yeah, that getting makes sense. at. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And it's like they're what they're good at and their strengths. Are they playing to it? Not really sure. Like I, I think Mark Shifley would be best suited in the bumper. I think Ehlers would best be suited where Shifley is right now on that left flank. Cause he does that thing where he curls and just attacks with speed. And a lot gets generated off of that. And I think Perfetti would be best on the right flank where Ehlers is right now. Um, so I, th- my takeaway from this swap is I want to see how Perfetti is on the right flank on the second unit when the second unit gets a chance because that's a facilitator role and we know how good his passing is. We know how good his vision is. If he's able to set people up on that second unit, set up Pionk for one-timers through the seam, uh, the Jets may have found something here and I wouldn't be shocked if their power play goes to Velarde down low. We know how good he is around the net. Uh, Shifley in the bumper, Perfetti on the right flank, Ehlers on the left flank, and then Morrissey up top. I think that's that would be how I would run the power play and how I think the players would best be playing to their strengths, especially in Ehlers' case. Um, I don't think he's a one t- like a one-timer guy that stands there. You got to use his speed somehow. Um, but yeah, we'll see how these units look. Alex Iafalo has been good in the bumper spot as well. So as long as they can get going, something had to change, and I, I don't completely hate it. Um, outside of the Winnipeg Jets, the last thing we're going to touch on here, the World Juniors are next week i guess boxing day um Mm -hmm. and they're in sweden this year and it was confirmed even though he was injured but it's confirmed he's going to play now because record mcgordy is the captain of team usa at the upcoming world juniors that is honestly the least shocking news i've read in a long time um we all know how much of a character rutger is and it's honestly more shocking the fact that he's playing um Mm Scott Wheeler on Winnipeg Sports Talk the other day could like he said that his injury was lung related. So he had a punctured lung and a broken rib. That was everyone thought it was his back because he fell back into the boards and like hit his head. So I, I thought it was like neck, back, something like that. But apparently it was his ribs. He must have like, I don't know. But anyways, it's great to see that he's healthy. He's ahead of schedule. He's gonna captain the team. Um, and he's gonna play a massive role on. I'll say it right now, the gold medal winning Team USA. That team is absolutely loaded. I have not seen a top nine that stacked in the World Juniors um, from Team USA in a long time. I'll preface yeah. that because Canada last year was also pretty stacked with Bedard. But They've had um, pretty stacked teams. Team USA, their top nine is just loaded. Their back end's good. Their goaltending is returning for a third straight year in Augustine. Um, they're going to be they're going to be really really good. But what are your guys' takeaways, if there are any, from McGrory being captain? <laughs> yeah, you 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 said it where it's it's entirely unsurprising. So yeah. that's that's essentially where I, my mind was when I saw it. I didn't I wasn't like shocked, but in any means whatsoever. Yeah, I think it's just good that he's playing. He was having a really yeah. good year with Michigan, um, which means that I think that the, he has an opportunity to get that same sort of call up towards the end of the year. 
uh, with the Moose and potentially get some AHL games played. I don't know if the Moose will be in the playoffs race and in the playoffs like they were last year but at least if he can get a call up maybe get five games in and we kind of get a sense of how he plays at the professional level um i think that's a huge thing but i think it's just good for his development that this injury didn't put him out long term um yeah because was this technically draft year plus one and this is the most important year if that's what i'm or is it draft year plus two i can't remember draft year plus two um but yeah usually draft year plus one is when some players will like break out randomly um, yeah. and then draft year plus two is when you really see if it was a fluke or not. Um, and Rucker's been fantastic. I think he's yeah. a jet next year. Honestly, I think he might, if Michigan gets eliminated early in the college playoffs, I don't even know. Frozen four, the frozen four. Um, you've seen it with <laughs> Kale McCarr. Um, but maybe Rucker McGordy comes in and plays like a, a third line role with the jets. If they don't add any bottom six talent, right? Maybe he takes Appleton's spot and Appleton slides down. I think I've become a lot higher on Rucker McGordy as a prospect. Selfishly, I'm glad he's healthy because the world juniors without him as like, as following the jets would be a lot less um, entertaining. Now there are other players and I'm excited to watch Elias Salmonson and none of them are Canadian. None of them are Canadian. Barlow did not make the team, but he's Barlow's injured. Um, But Sweden, the host team, Elias Salomonson is going to play a huge role for them. And we've heard a lot about, I mean, we interviewed Scott Wheeler and asked him about uh, Elias Salomonson in the summer before this season. Um, and he said he's been fantastic. The World Juniors is when he was going to make a name for himself. Now is that time. He's going to play a big role. Sweden host team. They have a lot of good defensemen on that team. Um, yeah. Salomonson has a chance to really solidify himself in the eyes of kind of the national, not national, but Jets fans that aren't tuning into Scalefia league games, yeah. you know, like like no one's really watching. Um or or like us and are complete nuts and follow every single Jets prospect <laughs> and what they're doing. I mean, we follow him, but I'm I'm not gonna sit here and act like I've watched a single one of his games this year. Like, like <laughs> sure, he's been good. Scott Wheeler says he's been good. That's what Scott Wheeler's for. He's 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 the draft guy, he knows everything. Like what he does is really impressive to know every team's like top prospects not even top prospects elias salmonson's what like the sixth best prospect on the jets fifth there's yeah. the four forwards ahead of him um or maybe not maybe after this tournament my mind will change on that but maybe yeah, he's been a, a, apparently fantastic so i'm excited to watch him as well fabian wagner had a great tournament last year another year for him um but yeah rutger is the one i'm most excited to watch i think that's it for jets prospects at the world juniors yeah i believe so yeah, it's just those three yeah barlow had a chance but he has been injured for a while now. And DiVincentis also was, DiVincentis was uh, DiVincentis last got cuts. cut, right? Yeah. Right. Yes. Which, yeah, maybe, maybe next episode we'll get into more of a prospect recap yeah. because the world juniors would be a good time or maybe following the, the world junior tournament, we can really update um, how everyone's doing. DiVincentis specifically, I want to dive into because what's going on there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, unless you guys have anything else on the world juniors, good to go. Yeah. Good to go. I think All we're right. good. Episode 59 of the Level 5 Podcast. Thank you for watching or tuning in on the podcast. Make sure you follow us on all socials at Level Flight WPG. And join us next week for a holiday edition of the Level Flight Podcast. Episode 60 um, and the World Juniors. Enjoy. Uh, one more game. You'll be hearing it or you'll be hearing this episode tomorrow. So this last game of the before the holiday break will be tonight against the Boston Bruins. Original six Friday nights. 
should be a fun night inside Canada Life Center. Grab tickets um, if you haven't, and you can. Going to be a, a good game to watch, I think. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, episode 59. Thanks for tuning in. From Brian, Elliot, and I, we really appreciate it. And join us next week for episode 60. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening to episode 59 of the Level Flight Podcast. See you. See you. You're listening to the Level Flight Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Thank <sighs> you.